Mr. David Vine, author of Base Nation. And uh, when I have on authors that I like, I fanboy, and I've stopped trying to suppress that part of me, so I'm just going to let it out. I hope that my listeners don't... I hope that I haven't sort of uh, forced a tolerance on them to my hyperbole, because I always have on authors... In the last week, I've said, two times in the last week, I've said, this is one of my new favorite books, top 10 all time. And I don't want them to start thinking that I'm just saying that about everyone. Oh, it's the best book ever. But the stars actually have aligned. And with Mr. Jefferson Morley, with Mr. Will Arkin, and now with Mr. David Vine, these are actually three books in my top 10 favorite books. So this podcast has been going since December 12th, 2019. We are on episode 428. It truly is. This is in my new top 10 favorite books. I don't want to hammer that into them and think it's not sincere anymore, but it really is. I've listened to it. Actually, I'm on my fifth listen through right now. I Yeah, I, I, I legitimately love it. It's called Base Nation. It's about America's bases abroad, which I didn't know about until I saw a YouTube video like a month and a half ago, and it was this guy talking about He's like, has anyone ever thought about bases abroad? And I was like, no, I guess I haven't. And I believe you were on there. And I saw your book. And I was like, well, what is this? And I got your book. And the re- it's just been a rabbit hole since then. But now that I got my fanboy out, please introduce yourself. Uh, Tommy, thank you so much. That's uh, incredibly kind. I mean, I think we, we all should have, you know, top 10 lists that yeah. have 100 you know, hundred items, hundred books, hundred films on them. Um, yeah. So wherever I fall, uh, that uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. Thank you yes, for absolutely. all those kind words. Absolutely, man. Um, so yeah, so I'm I'm a I'm I'm a writer. I've I've written three books, and and I'm a professor at American University in in Washington D.C. As you know, and I'm just thrilled to get a chance to to talk about Base Nation and and get a chance to meet you. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Also, first episode with the soundproofing, so hopefully that that makes it sound a little bit. I don't have the flag up right now because I got it through all. But point is, is so I had never thought about. I mean, it is kind of, you know, I've never left the United States, whereas my older brother has visited a ton of different countries and I can already, you know, he and I, you could, you know, it's like a, it's like a control setting, right? I mean, obviously grew up in the same family, same schooling, same everything. And I can see how much, and I hate to admit it, I can see how much more tolerant he is and how open his mind is compared to my American centric viewpoint. And kind of using that as like an analogy is... I had never thought about it. You just grow up. You don't know something. You know, I don't think about speaking English. I just, this is how I talk. And it wasn't until I saw that video that I was like, well, yeah, we. I guess we do have faces all around the world. And, you know, again, just, you know, you also got that Uncle Sam propaganda. Well, we're the world police. We're the good guys. But you start thinking, you're like, well, that would be, you know, what if, what if Germany said, hey, we we're gonna put a military base just outside Boston. You pro- you propose that well with a different country in Miami. You propose that, and I remember saying out loud like the hell you are, and it just it's wow. And it's you pointed out we have more military bases in more foreign nations than any other empire in American or in not American history in world history, and and it seems to just be perpetuating. Do you see it ever retracting, or are we in this? new era i mean new relatively to human history of of just a worldwide network of of power uh projection i do see change as not just possible but but coming uh, indeed so the united states has now around 800 military bases outside the 50 states in washington dc in some 83 countries and i say around and about 83 countries around 800 bases in, in about 83 countries because we don't know exactly how many bases there are abroad. The, the Pentagon doesn't even know, the military doesn't even know exactly how many bases they have abroad. The Pentagon had been putting together a list on an annual basis uh, until the Trump administration stopped fulfilling its congressional mandates in a whole variety of ways, uh, including this this annual list. Um, but my my calculation of around 800 bases and about 
80 countries and territories, colonies uh, outside the 50 states comes from the Pentagon's list and then adds bases that are well-documented um, and frequently well-known, as well as some secretive bases that where there is some documentation. Um, but the actual total might even be higher. It's important to point out that there have been times in recent U.S. history at the height of the U.S. wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, for example, when there were more than 2,000 U.S. bases abroad. Uh, so we have seen just in the past few years some reduction. And of course, the Biden administration has said that it will withdraw bases and troops from Afghanistan by the 9-11 anniversary. Uh, previous presidents as well, George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, also closed very large number of bases abroad, um, mostly in Europe, some in Asia. And the Biden administration, I'm encouraged to, to, to point out, has launched what it's calling a global posture review. So they're reviewing the infrastructure of bases and the deployment of troops. There are hundreds of thousands of, of U.S. troops in addition to these bases. They're not just sitting empty, of course. Um, the Biden administration is, is reviewing this system of bases and troops deployed around the world with uh, the, uh, the understanding that, that U.S. troops and bases may not be deployed in a, a very effective way. And that's the conclusion that many people are coming to across the political spectrum and people in the U.S. military are coming to the same conclusion. The highest ranking uh, general in the, the highest ranking military officer in the U.S. military, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, has said that we have too much infrastructure abroad, that we have to look at the need for every single base overseas. So I, I think we're at a, a moment where we're going to see some significant closures abroad that I've been calling for and many people have been calling for for years. Yeah, it's I had on the other day, I had on uh, uh, Will Arkin in his book, um, The Generals Have No Clothes. And it's 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 a it's kind of a, it's kind of a different examination yours is uh, the infrastructure and the cultural impacts and the economics around it this is more about the kind of uh it's like a new take on eisenhower's the military industrial complex but um he points out towards the end of his book uh what coronavirus showed was that we could greatly skim down on things and the missions the the critical missions were still carried out and and you and for everyone listening your your book isn't this scathing America bad military evil because that's easy to write anybody can write that yours is a look at I mean really a, a lot of the of the corruption and the the self-licking ice cream cone we have why do we have the private chefs well the chefs gotta you know they gotta cook for the contractors what are the contractors there for well we can't have the chefs dying <laughs> well who what are the chefs doing well they gotta cook for the contractors and it's like what are we what are we even doing? You know, why, why, why are we even going, why are we going around this circle? At some point, does anyone stop? Now, there are obviously, um, you know, I am biased as someone that loves the United States. But I mean, there are, as Mike Baker said, the former CIA guy who's been on Joe Rogan, says, look, America's bad. Like, we've done a lot of bad things. To say we haven't is just, is simply untrue. How, in, in his words, however... Someone is going to wield the biggest stick in the world. I would rather it be us than, say, China or Russia, which could be debated to the end of time. You know, free shipping lanes, you know. But there is something that comes up more and more as people talk about, you know, is the U.S. dollar not going to be the reserve currency anymore? Are we going to see hyperinflation? Are we going to see a realignment of the world's powers from a unipolar to a bipolar or tripolar? But what we've never seen before is the sort of late stage empire that a lot of people say the United States is in, which again can be debated to the end of time. There's never been a late stage empire with the military as large as ours is. And there's been big ones. There's been big ones that are spread thin, Genghis Khan, Roman Empire, sure. But there's never been one with what you point out towards the end of your book is by having these little bases all around from the big ones, the Ramsteins to the to the lily pads, to the tiny little ones that no one really knows about. And don't look over there. That's classified. We have this. And not only that, these 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 stockpiles of chemical weapons, of artillery shells, of ammo, of everything all around the world. We've we've taken what normally is a, you know, what you would use in a, a, a war zone, maybe what, you know, Normandy, and you, you set up your supply lines three deep or whatever. But we're now doing that 
around the world. And it seems like we've got this vice grip on the world now. That's going to who who gives that up? Whoever in power, whoever gives up their power, whoever what politician ever, you know, votes for like, you know, salary decreases for themselves. Right. You point out very clear and I know I'm rambling, but you point out very clearly and well documented. We've got this sort of serpentine grip on the world. And, you know, when we close things down in Europe, what we're really doing is we're pivoting to Africa, where it seems like the next, you know, half century of wars might be rare earth, rare earth metals, all the minerals, new oil supplies. We have China in there with their Belt and Road Initiative. I feel, you know, how, how do you expect the people in power to give up that power? Do you, do you see... Does that do, am I am I am I making sense? Does it does that seem like an, a reasonable argument? As you point out, we're seeming to have a grip on the globe itself. Sorry, I get excited. Yeah, no, this is fantastic. Um, no, I, I, well, I, I guess I, I think the the power that policymakers, that politicians, that presidents, that um, you know, uh, high ranking military officials think they have is actually, I think, a whole lot more hollow than than they imagine. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, the, where the generals have yeah. no clothes is sort of capture, captures that. Um, and, you know, COVID does as well, that, 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 that you know, the, these bases have not protected us, this permanent infrastructure of, of military force deployed around the world, um, you know, has not been serving the interests of most U.S. Americans. It has been serving the interests of some. It's been serving the interests of military contractors that have made tens of billions of dollars in, in some cases, uh, building and maintaining and expanding these bases. It's benefited the careers of some military officers who, you know, are the commanders on these bases. Uh, and it, it, there is a, a very serious bureaucratic and and political problem indeed that you're pointing to that it it is difficult for leaders to give up a perceived source of power but i think the more people again across the political spectrum are seeing that this power is is indeed hollow um, and is not serving to protect the united states is not serving to protect u.s citizens but instead in many ways is, is distracting the U.S. military, is weakening the U.S. military, is distracting the military from actually protecting the borders of the United States, um, which are very safe to begin with, um, and of course are siphoning off literally tens of billions of dollars a year that could be better spent elsewhere. For some, that's you know better spent in other parts of the military. For others, uh, myself included, we should be diverting funds spent on maintaining this huge infrastructure of bases abroad to maintaining, for example, our infrastructure at home yeah. that is yeah. crumbling in so many ways. Our roads, our uh, public transportation, our, our public schools, where, you know, in, in my mind, every day that a student in our country receives a substandard education at a public school which is every single day in so many communities around the country that is that is a, a you know that child is being damaged mm. and every day we're spending a dollar to maintain an unnecessary base abroad that when we could be spending that dollar back home we are contributing to that harm that children that child is experiencing at that school and the same goes with our healthcare system um, with our pandemic preparedness with our public health infrastructure all of which have been truly hollowed out because we've been maintaining this huge infrastructure of bases abroad that just to point out is, is costing us around this was 2017 51 billion dollars a year so the t actual total now is probably creeping up on 60 billion dollars a year this is just to maintain bases abroad not troops just the infrastructure and that's the size of the the state department's budget this this should trouble all of us it's well and i mean and for me what i always point to is everyone's heard me on this podcast talk about my brother mental health care i mean we can't Thank put you. money towards that i mean and let alone we just, this doesn't even need to be a, a, a bleeding heart. You know, you can you could focus this on military. 22 veterans a day commit suicide. I mean, this is a huge thing. Mental health care closed, you know, well, granted it was under Reagan, but close, close not to go off into the weeds, but closing all the, 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 the mental health care facilities with all the patients in them. 
And not only that is it's not, you know, let's just play devil's advocate. You could swing around and say, you know, it's a zero sum world. It is a vicious world. You do need military projection. And, and, and I do fully believe that. However, this isn't this isn't calling for shutting it all down. There's a lot of excessive stuff that it isn't, you know, it is a lot of guys just pocketing money. It is a lot of chefs cooking for contractors, protecting the chefs. I'm not saying yes. shut down Ramstein or shut down Okinawa. It's just, you know, do we need 19 lily pads in Nigeria? In, in, uh, yes. You're asking all the right <laughs> important questions. Although I guess I, I wonder, you know, do we need what, what what do we need power projection for i would say in, in full disclosure as a biology major and not a not a not a military veteran so in my arm in my armchair general i would say just looking at the history of man i think you definitely need enough to protect yourself just like i think the most stabilizing thing about the cold war was probably in 1949 when the soviets detonated their first a bomb that was a stabilizing path. Up until then, I don't know if you know, and not a lot of people know, Annie Jacobson talks about it in her book, DARPA, The Pentagon's Brain. In 1947 and 48, there was actually public discussion about us preemptively nuking the Soviets from coast to coast to get rid of any, you know, kind of smothering our enemy in the cradle while they're still a baby. We didn't think that they were going to detonate an A-bomb until I think the CIA said it wasn't told they didn't think the Soviets could do it until 1955. But then General James McCormick of the Atomic Energy Commission went to tell David Lilienthal of the Atomic Energy Commission that in 1949, a sniffer plane had picked up radioactive cl- a cloud off the coast of uh, the Soviet Union and that Valenti Beryov, now I'm just I'm kind of just quoting a book, they, they detonated a lot sooner. That was the most equal equalizing thing because all of a sudden we couldn't bully them. And I, I look at nuclear weapons as the ultimate kind of level playing field. That being said, I think that we and I've had a, I've had a friend on here argue and I think argue well that a strong China and a strong Russia might actually be the most peaceful thing. I think we need power projection in the sense that I think it was good when the Soviets developed an A-bomb. I hope no one takes that clip out of context, but that is what I mean. And again, my humble opinion as a biology major. <laughs> so just going with that argument, sure. though, given that the United States, I don't know how many nuclear warheads do we have now, somewhere between five and 6,000, I yeah. believe, and Russia has uh, fewer than it did when yeah. in the days of the Soviet Union, and China has a few hundred... Why do we need bases? Very true. Very true. No, it's that's a it's like what Eisenhower said. Every general will always use every weapon they have before they surrender or have their men killed or have their homeland invaded. So why or it's like there was an onion article from like 2005 and it was, you know, World War Three will be interesting because there will be several hours of extraordinary conventional weapons before we move to thermonuclear. And I think that's a brilliant question that I don't have the answer to. Why, why do we need any of that? Why do you, it's like, yeah, why? Just let it escalate. No one's going to go all the way. Well, I, I, my fear, of course, with nuclear weapons <laughs> available is that eventually they will be used. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm very afraid that, that in my lifetime, our lifetimes, the lifetime of most people listening or watching, uh, that nuclear weapons could be used, will be used, unless we abolish them. So, uh, you know, my, my call is, is very much not one for close all the bases and maintain the nukes. Um, I think, we, you know, the abolition of nuclear weapons has to be an urgent priority for many of the same re- reasons, including the, the financial ones, the huge oh, yeah. sums of money that are being spent on nuclear weapons that are sitting there and that can, you know, destroy the world many times over. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, overkill, literally yeah, yeah. and figuratively. Um, but of course, you know, the, the the danger that they that they possess, the uh, you know, just an accidental detonation would be devastating to say the least. And, you know, the fact that there are people in in the U.S. military, there are people in the sort of foreign policy blob, as it's Mm -hmm. frequently referred to, the sort of mainstream foreign policy pundits and think tank types in Washington, D.C., the fact that so many of them now are not just contemplating a war between the United States and China, but but see it as inevitable Mm -hmm. should truly frighten all of us because, 
I don't know what they're imagining, that, that a, a war between these two nuclear armed powers, between the two wealthiest countries on Earth, um, the two largest militaries, most powerful militaries on Earth, that, that that wouldn't become a nuclear conflict and wouldn't cause catastrophic damage is is beyond me. It's really frightening. And, and you know, in addition to abolishing nuclear weapons, I think, you know, preventing a war between the United States and China has to be at the very top of a list of foreign policy priorities and changing this kind of uh, this kind of assumption that, that, that a war between the United States and, and it what times feels like a kind of intellectual curiosity and almost sports-like enthusiasm among yeah. some of these military folks and think tank types who you know want to see a war between the United States and China that should be you know frightening to all of us especially following the last 20 years of catastrophic wars that the United States has been waging and you know that's part of why I ask the question about you know projection for what you know bases abroad have made it just far too easy to go to war far too easy to launch offensive interventionist wars of choice wars that have been not just catastrophic in iraq afghanistan pakistan somalia libya yemen and on but catastrophic for the united states for the veterans who have come back you know in many cases dead uh, in other cases grievously wounded either physically or mentally or both um, and again the money that has been spent taxpayer money upwards of 6.4 trillion dollars 6.4 trillion with a t dollars has been spent or obligated uh, by congress from taxpayer funds to on just on 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 the five most violent wars since 9 11. um again you know imagine what we could have done with 6.4 trillion dollars uh it's it should really you know it's, sadden to say the least sadden all of us it 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 it's i was going to say yeah and and to touch on the nuclear weapons yeah i mean no one, no one really thinks about it. But I mean, who was one of the most vocal guys about it? But you know, the Ronald Reagan himself. You know, despite the military buildup, his whole thing going to Reykjavik was about abolish nuclear weapons. There's no, there's no, there is. So there is, there is precedent for this. And then, I mean, not only all the accidents. I mean, there's, there's five or six like very, uh, I guess. What am I looking for? scary ones over the edge lack of terms scary ones over the cold war but i mean we also have guys like general MacArthur who's chomping at the bit to drop him in korea and truman had to let him go we have well Patton. Patton was you know we gotta now we gotta fight the soviets general lemay he, he called it a sunday punch his top guys used to call it quote killing a nation they had these plans to go in and just drop three thousand bombs in an afternoon and i mean he used to have like B-47 hustlers, I think. He'd have them sprint to the Soviet Union border and then pull away. And someone in Kennedy's uh, cabinet said, you know, if you keep doing that, you're going to cause World War III. And LeMay said, if we were so lucky. Which, yeah, it, it is, <laughs> it's is, is unbelievable. It's insane. It's, yeah. It's insane. And, and I, th I think it, it's a symptom. You know, a lot of my work has is focused on studying policymakers and, and members of the military. And I think when you see leaders like that, it speaks to the distance. I mean, there are many ways to analyze it, including perhaps from a psychological dimension and, and literal insanity. Um, and, but I'm not an expert on any of the LeMay or Dr. Strangelove, um, yeah. But, but I think it speaks to the distance that develops between at least some generals and admirals and the highest ranking military officials from the effects of war. I mean, I think you think it happens to, to civilian military leaders as well, civilians in the Pentagon, who have never in some cases even been to war. Mm -hmm. But they they develop this this distance from the human damage that that war inflicts and that's why in, in my book based nation and in in my my more recent book yeah, um, the united states of war. of war i try to uh, rather than just telling uh writing about the history of wars about u.s bases um, from an abstract sort of policy perspective i always want to put the focus on okay what are these bases doing yeah what effects are they having on human beings, both those that are obvious and those that are are, are, are less uh, well known or and, and harder to see? Uh, and uh, the, the fact that that the human impacts of war aren't at the center of any consideration of war is 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 something that that must change. It's um, yeah, it's uh, you know I think about I think about Eisenhower 
and you know his less well-known speech was that you know for every for every fighter jet for every new destroyer he's like a child is robbed of education you know he's like he's like a heavy bomber could build five thousand homes in an american town a new uh, a new you know cruiser could build that's you know 40 public schools in 40 american cities he has a great speech on it and he goes and this is again this isn't tree hugging eisenhower this is this is supreme commander of the allied forces five-star general on to become the president up there with ulysses s grant and george washington and that sort of pantheon of i mean this is a guy that said uh in 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 his uh journal i believe during korea he he wrote uh we will be burying more men this this veterans day men are stupid and and that's eisenhower i mean the guy who loved soldiering and it's you made a very good point that, and this is why this is why I love having you on right now. Is I like having my beliefs challenged. I like feeling. I like feeling. You know, ooh, I like being on shaky ground. Um, and I won't. I won't. I know. I know. I said only half hour. I'll keep you for five more minutes. Is no, I'm loving this conversation. Okay, okay, awesome. so okay good, awesome, beautiful, awesome. I'm so excited. Is by having. You're right. By having this stuff all over the world, it makes it easier to use when you you know it's like when we put forward the patriot act it's well when you got a big hammer everything starts to look like a nail and by having these everywhere by having these supply lines or as mr arkin says you know this sort of networked thing around the world it makes it so easy to do anything he he brings up the general soleimani example he and he goes it's important to note any kind of if iffiness about our, us killing him was around whether or not we wanted to. It wasn't that we couldn't. He was like the AI picked him up. It picked him up on the phone, tracked him from the airport, predator in the sky, you know, hellfire missile armed. We're ready to go. The entire if was do we want to or not? It wasn't the system. By having these these supply lines all over the world, by having these stashes of weapons of God knows what, not to mention nuclear weapons, aircraft carriers all around the world stashing i think it's where is it norway that they have this huge it's like a hollowed out mountain full of tanks that we have sitting there just in case the soviet union invades norway we have everything around it makes it easier to just squash everything and does it turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah that's that's no that's very much um these are are, are my fears and you know the, the bases in Norway. Most of this this infrastructure is a, a, a relic of World War II and the early days of the Cold War. And one of the things that one of the problems in the Cold War is that that a kind of mindset developed about about U.S. national security that you to maintain the security of the United States, you needed to maintain hundreds of bases and hundreds of thousands of troops around the world, and that just became dogma and people stopped questioning it. and that was you know much of the the inspiration for for base nation was to to question why do we have 800 bases in over 80 countries around the world uh, what are these bases doing are they actually protecting us are they instead you know serving to 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 create a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy you know I, I think the the example of LeMay sending you know the bombers to the borders of the Soviet Union and then pulling back at the last moment that's what bases are except bases don't pull back yeah. they are surrounding and we're not we're not talking about the early days of the Cold War now we're talking about today yeah the U.S. has literally hundreds of bases surrounding the borders of China and Russia and Iran and North Korea. And again, you know, you did it very nicely. Try to imagine for people in the United States, try to imagine how we would feel if there was even a single Chinese base or Russian base or Iranian base or North Korean base anywhere near the borders of the United States. People would freak out and call for an immediate military reaction, I I have to think. Um, So we should not be surprised when China and Russia in particular, when surrounded by U.S. bases, Iran as well, North Korea as well, when they feel threatened by these U.S. bases. And indeed, bases are meant to threaten. Sometimes they're portrayed as these are defensive in nature. No, bases are meant to threaten. And this is not an effective way to bring about peace or to secure the United States. And and we, we can look to one prominent example from the Cold War, you know, when Russia, the Soviet Union, 
built a single base me, me too. near the borders of the United States, you know, when they built a missile base in Cuba, this brought the world closer to nuclear Armageddon than we've ever been. Um, you know, this was the Cuban Missile Crisis when the Soviet Union built a single base. Meanwhile, again, during the Cold War and to this day, there are literally hundreds of bases surrounding the borders of then the Soviet Union, today Russia. I'm so angry. You stole my thunder. It came into my mind. I was like, I got I had a perfect line. I was going to say what happened when they did one base, the whole world almost died. And you and yet it came in and you swooped it out from under me. But it's true. It happened once. It happened one time in the entire world almost died. And that, you know, and, you know, is that even a bad thing? But then would we have to grant that to and I got to be really careful about how I say this is the whole world dying a bad thing. We protected ourselves by saying you can't have them. Should that be an, an allowable mindset for, you know, again, it's very easy for me to, you know, grow up in the United States. I had a loving you know, nuclear family. I, I got to go to private school. I've been incredibly blessed in every in every form imaginable. We have to put ourselves in the mind of, of uh, you know, a North Korean or Chinese, or Russian and Iranian. If you're all around us, why aren't you going to, you know, for lack of a better term, throw some bows? You know, this is my area. Back off. F off. This is this is my square. Don't come. You know, I'm not hitting you. I'm not hitting you. I'm not. You know, when my older brother would do that to me, well, you hit him back because you'd be like preemptively. I'm going to hit you back. You can't do that. You can't come in here. You know, why did we take out Soleimani? It was a preemptive threat. We took him out in a foreign nation and called it a preemptive threat. And I had never thought about it until you said it. You know, the B-47 hustler streaking towards the... And then we pull away at the last minute and we say, ha, didn't touch you. I mean, what is... I mean, here's another example. Okay, good. I can I can regain my thunder. Look, look at how we're freaking out with the, and myself included. I, I am guilty of this more than anyone. Everyone knows on this podcast I'm a rah-rah American. But the, the, the artificial bases in the South China Sea or China's belt... And, I had on Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, episode 161 who's in Obama's National Security Council, his book, Stealth War, is a, a big emphasis is China's Belt and Road Initiative. Why do we not like it? It's a $5 trillion plan for them to build uh, build infrastructure all over Africa and South America. And then when inevitably these nations can't pay them back, they say, hey, don't worry about it, but let us put a base there. We're losing our collective minds about this that they haven't even done yet. They haven't even built the bases yet. We've had our own Belt and Road Initiative I mean, as you say, as FDR, you know, he should ask Congress, but he just said it's done. You know, what did Truman say? Anything that's, you know, uh, that we need for American national security. And then the chapter ends with and any base that we deem we need or any land we deem we need, we'll take. And it's like, you know, it, it's a tough pill to swallow that the things we criticize most are just fractional reflections of what we've been doing for decades, or as your book points out, actually centuries. It's yeah, really, really well point, R really, really well put. Um, better than I put just now. Um, no, and, and it is important to point out that, of course, the first U.S. bases abroad were those built on Native American lands. Yeah, yep. um, they enabled the expansion and conquest of, of the United States across North America. The crowbar. Uh, but, but, you know, in, in, in recent times, you know, I, I haven't seen evidence that suggests that, that there are any clauses or that there's reason to believe that China will impose military bases on countries that can't pay debts mm -hmm. as part of the Belt and Road Initiative. Sure. China has a single base in Djibouti. It has four bases on human-made islands in the South China Sea that are disputed, and, and I think the international courts have, have ruled these are not, uh, you know, Chinese sovereign territory. Um, and it has bases in, in occupied Tibet. Um, but other than that, zero bases abroad. Um, nothing compared to the United States' collection of 800 bases in over 80 countries and, and, and colonies. Uh, and I, so I think for those who would say, you know, someone needs to carry the big stick, someone needs to 
you know, this is inevitable. I mean, I think, first of all, we should question those narratives about mm -hmm. human history and about sure. humanity, um, because they are really actually constructions, just ideas, Dated. ideologies yeah. that have emerged largely in the in the Cold War period um, in the 20th century. Um, you know, we need only look at China's model. China has 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 you know created a, a massive economy and and grown the, the size of its economy and improved the the well being of, of many of its people with many suffering along the way. Don't sure. get me wrong, um, but but the, the 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 model of of maintaining military infrastructure around the world and and troops and and militarizing the globe is not the only way and is it seems to me not a very effective way um, to protect the United States, to um, to increase the size of our of our, our economy, and um, that you know. And we we need also ask, you know, when was the last time China wasted money on a on a war? Last war China fought was in 1979. It was for a month. The United States, meanwhile, has been spending again 6.4 trillion dollars just in the last. 20 years alone on waging wars that have been disastrous. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, in addition to some of the other priorities I laid out, the absolute avoidance of any any future wars, and in addition to ending the current endless wars, have to be priorities for the Biden administration and any reasonable foreign policy that is actually focused on protecting people in the United States and, and, and protecting the security of the globe. It's and there's there's another point is um is blowback right I mean blowback's like making your bed and there's like a bubble of air and you just keep pushing the bubble around and you're like I can't, I can't why can't I get it and you finally do and then the whole thing snaps up or something but it's you know when we're when we're out and a lot of this stuff classified so we don't even know about it but when we're doing these secret wars in in Yemen or in Africa and you know we. You know, so, you know, it's, it's, I'll try to pull it into my own experience. You know, I lost one sibling seven years ago to suicide. Terrible, self-inflicted, terrible, grown from it, whole, I've got my own whole journey story, whatever. There's a billion lives. Everyone's got their own personal story. That was one death. You know, this wasn't old age. This wasn't disease. This was a terrible death. That's one. Imagine if you were at a wedding or maybe you were sick and you couldn't go to the wedding. And instead of seeing your cousin get married away, ah, oh, you know, wish I was there. Sorry, you know, I, I had work. Imagine if a Hellfire missile from, actually, well, let's use China. We'll call it a, a, a Dongfeng 14, I think. They're hypersonic missiles. What if a Dongfeng hypersonic missile vaporized your wedding? Your cousin, all those people used to have Thanksgiving with and all of our Western holidays or, you know, you used to remember growing up. And I remember Christmas. I remember seeing Mimi and, and Beeps, my grandparents, you know, rest in peace. Go back and see them. And, oh, yeah, no, my mom always used to do this. And she'd cook, you know, uh, you know, pecan, like hazelnut chocolate pie. And, oh, my Aunt Sue was there. And I was like, imagine they're all gone. And imagine it's not one. Seven years later that I, me and my family, were still holding each other up for you know, and God bless my family for that. Not one, but imagine all your cousins, all your uncles, all your aunts, and let's play devil's advocate. Maybe one of your uncles actually was a terrorist. Let's just, let's not even say it's completely innocent. Let's, let's try to give a little to the other side. Okay. Maybe I have one uncle X who is a bad guy and damn, I didn't know that. And you know, well, that's what you get. But imagine they're all gone now, and it's me. Let's say, David, you're my older brother. It's just you and I. And we're not in the United States where, hey, at least I can put on a collared shirt. I can afford new paneling and a new MacBook. And it's, I can at least stay occupied after my brother, you know, I was able to move home to my parents who, you know, provided for me and allowed me to go see a therapist, which again, mental health care, bringing it back to the United States. We have this whole thing where I can build up and I can even at the very least stay occupied. I'm upwardly mobile. Hey, I'm having an interview with a cool guy. I listen to his audiobook. I love it. It's a great thing. Imagine you don't even have that. Imagine you're in a country that has no infrastructure. It has no running water. You, you're illiterate. You, you, don't, you, know, and you have zero sex education. All you know is a, is a metal monster in the sky vaporized your family. You have nothing less. What else are you going to do but try to go John Wick on the people that did it to you? 
and you don't really care if it's right. Now, when that happens every single day, well, the people, the American people don't know that. So all we see are these terrorists, you know, putting on, putting on their head garment and grabbing their AK-47. Yeah, they need to die. But the reality is, is, are, is this us just making the bed? And the bubbles are popping up on the corners, but you don't see that whole backstory of the family and the cousins and the wedding and Thanksgiving. All you see is there's another guy burning an American flag. Take him out. Sorry, I just I got a little riled up, but it's, it, it mean, is it just going to go on forever that way? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you got riled up. We, we all should be riled up and, and we should be outraged. And in, you know, those of us in the United States who were paying for this kind of destruction and this sort of misguided uh, blowback inducing policy, um, it will not go on that way if we, if we refuse to let it go on that way. And I think we have to. We have to demand a change. It, it, it's the Hellfire missiles, like you said, or the you know, um, it's the the missiles raining down from the sky on on wedding parties. Uh, and it's it's, it's bases. It's it's. It, I mean, it's wars generally, um, but just the mere presence of, of bases. The research has shown that that you put a base in uh, people's country, first of all, anywhere, um, it's it's liable to generate opposition and protest almost everywhere. U.S.'s bases have gone, but especially in in the Middle East, especially in the you know the presence of Muslim of bases in the Muslim Holy Lands. You know this was one of Bin Laden's yeah. justifications for the 9/11 attacks: um, the presence of U.S. bases and troops in Saudi Arabia. Um, and, and other research has shown that in the Middle East, generally, bases lead to increased recruitment by militant groups that would use terrorist acts as, as tools. Um, but it doesn't have to be this way. Uh, the United States can and really must pursue a, a different path to engaging with the world and, and, and ensuring its security. Um, I think, you know, we should all be, you know, I think we can all be rah-rah, as you said, for, for the United States uh, in, in a way that, that doesn't come at the expense of, of other people. Um, and, you know, I, I think... Uh, too many uh, leaders, so-called leaders, have been supposedly rah-rah for the United States or, or wrapped themselves in the flag and, and, and nationalism um, and, uh, and, and, and continue to lead us down this, this path that ultimately will result in the destruction of, of this empire that we inhabit. And I think um, that is going to be the conclusion of, of this uh, policy, of this long-term strategy of, of endless war and, and the bases that make those wars possible, unless we demand something different, unless uh, leaders uh, change course. And I, I, I think they can, and I think they must. It's kind of, have, have you ever read any, um, any of Smedley Butler? Uh, you know, uh, 1933 business plot. It's yeah. his whole thing. You know, he's the most most decorated, I think, Marine of all time. His whole war is a racket speech. But I mean, he had a great point. And uh, he said that he said that the military should be used for three things. Defending our northern and southern border, defending our east and west coasts and defending the Bill of Rights. And that was from the highest ranking guy, went in as an enlisted man, fought in World War One, rose all the way up to the point where he stump speeched for uh he was a Republican, stump speeched for FDR. But uh yeah. it's and that's I mean, so again you kind of see this it's one thing if you have a you know a Timothy Leary or a Ram Dass dropping acid saying and the wars, man, like that's all great and good, but a lot of people can kind of brush that off as, oh, that's not real, you know. But it's another thing when you have when you have George Washington saying, don't get tied up in foreign affairs, when you have Ben Franklin saying a republic, if you can keep it, when you have Smedley Butler saying war is a racket, bring it all home. And then you have about 30 years later, who else but Dwight Eisenhower? I mean, the other top guy. I mean, are there, there, are there higher people up than a Washington, a Smedley, a, an Eisenhower? And they all say the same thing. It's a racket. Their business interests c come back home. This isn't me just, you know, yelling in front of a camera. This is these are the most you know, respected, uh, conditioned guys. And it's I don't know. I think to, to wrap this up, I know I've, I've kept you 15 minutes over 20 minutes over. I said I would. I'm terrible about that. I, as you can tell, I get I get very passionate is I think I think one of the chapters in your book, um, Everyone Serves, 
to me, that was the best microcosm of of what this all is. And it's the idea that we have these military bases. What I forget the, the term you use. It Mayberry is was that, mm-hmm. uh, that people think of them as sort of yeah idyllic nineteen fifties yeah. area era suburbia. Yeah, yeah. So he, he uh, Mr. Vine explains all these bases as you know you got your schools, you got your exchanges, you got all the women and children there. You can run around. You don't have to worry about crime. Everyone says yes, ma'am, no sir. And you know, in terms of uh, wealth disparity, there's only a ten. There's only a ten x uh, difference between the lowest paid and the highest pl- uh, paid, which compared to Wall Street is one to three hundred and fifty four times. It's socially diverse, culturally diverse, strong support systems. Uh, I mean, really, it's the most ironic thing is the you know the the idea of this you know strong right wing military is it actually is one of the most like well executed forms of socialism, which is just hilariously ironic. But yes. it's. We have this whole thing where it's just really what it is, at least how I saw it in my mind, I visualized, is we have this very whitewashed, cleaned, hygienic, outside the walls, war goes on, but you don't really feel like it is through Skype, through just th- or through all the amenities and the services and the bonuses and the, and the healthcare and the schooling. It almost seems like it's, you know, it's as abstract as, you know, my dad going to work for whoever when I was a kid going to sell, you know, chicken, go sell poultry. You know, he'd wave goodbye. Bye, dad. But I mean, in this case, it's the soldier going out the door. And then even then when someone dies, there's a three day blackout. There's the notification squad. The doctors come, you know, the other wives provide support. But it's this very clean concise you know you don't you don't see how sausages are made you just take it out of the fridge and you microwave it and there it is but you don't see everything behind it i think that chapter is a beautiful microcosm of what this whole system is because even now this is the most in-depth conversation i've ever had about it and what's the extent of this it's in an air-conditioned room in a leather chair on a macbook i'm not out on the i'm not seeing the screaming and the in the and the cry. And I have one guy on here all the time, Del Comstock, youngest member ever of Delta Force, worked for the CIA for several years. I mean, he is James Bond. He says the the things that he thinks about the most over his whole career isn't PTSD from warfare and from killing others and seeing you know his men be killed, but rather it's seeing you know picking up a child, you know, a crying child, and he's like and realizing like this kid is the same weight as my son. Or, you know, seeing a woman and being like, that could be my wife. It's very sanitized and it's at a distance. And it's, you know, I mean, what what way what way around that is there? It's we don't feel it. I mean, the only other way you can say it is weather underground. And I mean, that's going to get me flagged by the FBI. Bring the war home. Is there another way to do this other than directly feeling it? Or is there going to have to be some... What is it going to have to be? Not that you know the answer and not to put that weight on your shoulder. What is it going to be? Are we going to have to pull them home and see that the world doesn't collapse or baby steps or, or what? Well, I, I, think, I mean, there's so many important <laughs> things you said just now. No, I, I, I so appreciate it and so appreciate your effort on your own and your effort to encourage other people to put themselves in the, in the shoes of others, to feel what it would feel like if, if we were on the receiving end of, of US military policy, of this policy of, of permanent infrastructures of bases uh, encircling the globe, uh, this basic policy of, of, of endless war. Um, so I, th- I think that is an important part of the picture. I think also showing people in the United States that they have been harmed directly, um, that they're not only is their security been undermined, um, but their their well-being, their lives have been harmed directly because we've been spending all this money on wars abroad, on bases abroad, and not investing in the lives and the health care and the mental health care of people here in the United States and and then getting people to demand change. Um, I, I think that is the only the only uh, possible way forward. Um, but it is going to take a dramatic transformation of, of existing U.S. foreign policy, which is intertwined, of course, with, with U.S. domestic policy. Uh, but I, I think there are encouraging signs uh, that 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 such change uh, is is starting, that, that that again people across the political spectrum are realizing that the the status quo is not sustainable, uh, and that we we have to 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 transform and demand such transformation urgently. Yeah, and and I think we can do it. 
and I've said this before on this podcast, you know, I, I look at other things like, you know, as a more conservative guy like myself, but I, I always look at things like, you know, the social systems in Nordic countries or Scandinavian countries, whatever the correct term is. I look at that or as, you know, as as I, I do kind of break from the, the conservative mold when I, I do think there should be universal health care. Because as someone as myself, if I didn't have family to move into after my brother died because I spiraled downwards, on all likelihood, I'd probably be dead. I probably would have taken my life five years ago. I mean, seriously, that's why I moved home. But I look at things like, why can't we look at a social system like we see in countries where it works? Why does it have to be this whole, oh, no, that's Marxism? Why can't we look at it as as a challenge? Why can't we look at it as as Normandy or going to the moon or, or Iwo yeah. Jima? Why can't we look at I mean, we can make this rah, rah America instead of, hey, we beat the Nazis. All right. We, you know, we went toe to toe with the Soviets. We, you know, we killed bin Laden. We can do all that. Hey, why don't we take the next thing? I bet. I bet we can, you know, bring healthcare home to all. I mean, we can make that rah rah America. Why not? Why can't that be and, the cheer? And as you, were, yeah, and as you were saying, we don't even have to look at you know Nordic countries or or outside the United States. We can look at just the United, <laughs> United States, military States military and the, the system of of schools and universal healthcare and uh, pretty generous benefits after you leave the military as a model. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be just for members of the military. Yeah. Why can't this can be the model for for the country as a whole? Um, so I'm 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 you know so glad that you are uh, urging this kind of change and and that that you feel the the urgency and are communicating it to others and asking these questions that not enough people are asking. Well, I I I I I, I try to do that because I do lean more right, but I always think. I think of the Voltaire quote, and when I go against it, I feel stupid because his quote is, is, the sign of an intelligent person is someone who can entertain an argument without necessarily believing it. And I find that by forcing myself out of my comfort zone and having discussions that break free of the mold, a lot of times I actually kind of open my mind to, I'm like, well, that wait, hold on. That is a good argument. Why why can't we do that? And as you just said just now, that I had never thought of, despite listening to your book four or five times, we don't even have to look to Nordic countries. We can literally look to our own U.S. military, the very thing that we push forward as our sign of might. I mean, again, the wealth disparity only ten x. You know, the social and ideological diversification, the better than uh, is better than average public schooling. Man, it. Why can't we do that? Why can't we model it after that? You know, and I I, I don't know how that well, happens. We, we, we I mean, the short answer is we can. Yeah. We definitely can. And, and and again, I think there there are signs that we're moving in that direction. Biden just tonight is going to be uh, proposing. Uh, I'm not sure when this is going to be available. Then people will be listening after after he's given the speech. But you know, he wants to expand child care resources the way the U.S. military provides child care for its employees for military personnel. Um, he wants to uh, expand the the sort of the basic uh, services that that can provide for uh for the well-being of, of people in the united states it, it is you know important to point out that the u.s military of course has many problems beneath the surface sure. of that sort of glossy suburbia sure. you know the the epidemic of sexual assault mm-hmm. alone the very high rates of, of drug abuse alcohol abuse um there, there's a lot to be worked out yeah. but you know, they, they have created an uh, an infrastructure of uh, that that supports the the health and well being of of people, and we can do that on a national basis. It's it's you know you do point out a great point, and then and then we'll wrap this up. I've kept you for twice the amount of time I said I would. Is right after World War II, how they showed uh, it was that quote from like 1947, I think, and it was we used to worry about ammo and you know tank barrels, and now we're worried about you know diapers and what you know it's kind of these guys are just like why are we bringing the women here but what they later realized was it went from uh the family members being called it was was basically a glorified term of like groupie it turned from that to uh force amplification because they realized what expensively trained and well-trained soldier i mean like anyone you got you know it's like why your job would say you have to work here for three years if we're going to train you like they got to get something out the U.S. military realized that they're putting all this money into training these soldiers 
And if their family was stuck at home, they would probably end up leaving the military to go get a better deal at home and be with their family. And what did they realize? Happy family, happy soldier, a well ready and armed and prepped force. Man, if that's not a microcosm of like, wait, maybe maybe if everyone's cared for, just basic stuff, just you know, you can get health care. You're you're not a you're not a you know, you're not a cough away from bankruptcy that might be a force amplification for the United States as a whole. You know, it might bring everything up. And again, these are all just, you know, I'm 30 years old with biology degree. I'm not, I can't, you know, say how the world should be run. But man, you pointed out, and that is how the military looked at it. They looked at it as, hey, bring the women and children. That wasn't like a bleeding heart thing from them. They looked at it as military tacticians do. Does this have a benefit on us? We'll keep the soldiers in the force. Then bring them over, bring the wife and children over, have the exchange services, we'll subsidize the gas, we'll, we'll fly their car over for free. Why do they do that? Because they found when the soldier was happier, the armed forces worked better. I mean, it's, 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 quite, a, it's quite a conundrum and it, 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 it forces you to look at things. You know, if we're going to so wildly support the military, well, then how does the military actually conduct itself? They conduct themselves a lot like a socialist organization. Hey, Mr. Vine, you just challenged my beliefs, and I, I well, thank you. Thank you, and please do call me David. David, David, David all right, all right. Very beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I would just say if anyone is interested in learning more about U.S. bases abroad, and including movements to close bases abroad, uh, a couple resources. One, um, my website, basenation.us, basenation US. And then for an example of the kind of transpartisan, not just bipartisan, but transpartisan, really across the political spectrum group that's organizing to call for closures abroad, um, there's the Overseas Base Realignment and Closure Coalition, the Overseas Base Realignment and Clo- Closure Coalition. Um, and the website there is overseasbases.net overseasbases.net and yeah I would just encourage people to get involved in in changing this status quo that has been so disastrous for so many of us absolutely and for anybody listening get the book on audible I'll put it in the description as always I'll stick it in the top comment it's an awesome again everyone knows this this is a one man operation no I have there's no there's no focus group saying I think you should have on David Vine I have on whoever I want to have on there are a lot of books I do listen to that I never reach out to the authors because I yeah, this is an okay book, whatever. I love this book. It is in my top. Someone's going to call me out eventually. And I'm going to have to actually solidify the top 10 to make sure there's not 40. <laughs> but it is in my top 10. I do love it. It's a fantastically engaging book. And we, I mean, we didn't even touch on the half of it with, with human trafficking and military sexual trauma and uh, yeah, the what, war con building, defense con. I can't remember. The, I mean, it goes it goes further down the rabbit hole. We didn't even touch uh, touch all of it in this episode. But... I will put it in the description, stick it in the top comment. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I'll put those websites, same thing, description, sticky top comment. David, I will email you when it's uploaded. It should be uploaded sometime this evening. And then your new book, I didn't know you had a third book. Your second book, United States of War, which I will have to get, and I will have to have you on for that. You don't have a say in the matter. What's your third book? Um, so yeah, no, I'd be happy to come back on. And um, the the in fact the the audio version is is coming out uh, just in the uh, I think within a month. Okay. Yes, a, a month from last well, Sunday. Um, the the paper the hardback is of course out um, for the United States. For the third book is called uh, Island of Shame: The Secret History of the U.S. Military Base on Diego Garcia, uh, and it's about the one military base. A base in the middle of the Indian Ocean uh, on this island, Diego Garcia, uh, that only exists because the U.S. with U.S. government, with the help of the British government, forcibly removed, exiled an entire indigenous people from their homes uh, on Diego Garcia and some surrounding islands, and deported them about 1,200 miles away. So it's a, the history of the the base on Diego Garcia how U.S. policymakers came to think it was a good idea to build a base there, that they needed to build a base there, and, and why they uh, exiled an entire group of people in the process. And and, and uh, a lot of the book also focuses on the lives of the, the displaced Chagosians uh-huh. uh, and, and what's become of them, including their struggle to return home, which is ongoing. Mm-hmm. And you talk, uh, again, you touched on a lot of that in uh, Base Nation for everybody listening. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Henry Kissinger, what, you know, it's only 90,000 people, who gives a damn? And it's like, Ooh, you know, that's that's and that was 
very last thing. I don't know. I've signed off like five times now. Who is the president? And I think the 1800s. That uh, was it. Monroe. No one shall colonize. There will be no European colonies in the Western Hemisphere, for it shall be our hemisphere. And by our moral superiority as a race, it already is our hem. Man, when you hear that, you're just kind of like, oh God. So that that's Teddy Roosevelt. Roosevelt yeah. it's, a, it's the Roosevelt Doctrine or oh. corollary to the Monroe Doctrine. Oh. Um, so they're yeah directly connected, but yeah shows how how racism has underlined this whole story from the Chagossians to Latin America to uh, the wars that have been fought in Iraq and Afghanistan. And yes, it's it. And with the mafia, I'm 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 going to end up keeping you for nine hours, and I'm going to keep <laughs> signing off every five minutes. So I will let you go, David. I will email you. Thank I would you. love to have you on for the United States of War and the and the Island of Shame. I will let you go. I kept you for twice as long as I said I would. Guys, go get the book. I can't fake my excitement. I don't plan any of my talks. So when I get jacked up and I start yelling, it's genuine. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Tommy. You're the best. Uh, I look forward to talking again. Oh, absolutely. All right, man. God bless. Thank you for being on here. Stay safe, everybody. Bye-bye.